Hello, everyone. Welcome to the All the T-Shirts Student Ministry Podcast. I usually don't get to say that. Uh, my name is Rick White. Yes, you are. And I'm Lee Myers. And welcome to our podcast. Um, usually Lee does the intro. That was impressive, Rick. I, I try, man. I'm, that I'm, was impressive. I am a novice. Lee lets me. Dude, that was like a pro. Lee lets me take the, you know, You're lets me boss, drive every man. now and then. You're I a know. boss. <laughs> I'm telling you, here's the keys, bro. You got this. Well, look, it's been a while since we've been doing the podcast, and uh, since we've done one, we we needed to sit down and do one. And, it has uh, been a busy season. It's in been our a lives. very busy. We just had a church wide disciple now weekend oh, at our it was church. Crazy, but it was amazing. It was amazing. It was really great. I enjoyed it. I'm telling you. I mean, like the kids were doing one, the youth were doing yeah. one. Most of our college students were helping with. Yeah, the youth we had and the, the college students. They they were rock stars, man. They were, they were great. They were wonderful. Super heroes. And then man. our adults were going through a weekend too. They didn't stay in other people's homes because right. there's not enough outlets for CPAP machines. That's the running joke. That's the running joke around here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but well, yeah. yeah, I mean, we had we it was it was a it was a oh man, your wife is amazing. You know, yeah, I know the way she pulled it all together, man. She was she was like the uh, the big toe. Every every everybody needs a big toe. You're quoting stripes. Now. <laughs> Tori is the big toe, man. Okay. Oh man! But yeah, it was a great weekend. We had a lot of fun and uh, had some great speakers, great music. It was amazing, and uh, we're we're just tired, man. It's yeah, it's, it's like the day exhausting. after. Uh, we were all in bed last night. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday. We were all in bed last night by eight o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's true. man. We're all tired, but Lee, I can tell you, I'm excited right now. You, look, look, I'm telling you, today is not the day to uh, to pull up the lever on the recliner, man. No. This is going to be a this is going to be a good one. This today. is good. I this is going to be one of my favorite podcasts that we've done already and we haven't done it yet. I, I, I we listen back to it and we're like, "Well, that was really good." Or, "Oh, man, I didn't like that one as much." Yeah. But the ones with guests are always the best. They and, are. And we uh, love our guests. We were telling them uh telling our guests today that that just um we've had some impressive people here. And uh, we've had, and they've been, I mean, really, we really have had some impressive people that right. we've been yep. able to interview and talk to, but this is probably the most credentialed guy we've ever got. He's got the pedigrees, the man. Pe- yeah, he does. He does. Well, let me introduce him. This is, we have with us today, we have Clint Davis, and Clint is an Army veteran uh, who has a bachelor's in psychology from Louisiana Tech University down in Ruston, Louisiana, and a master's in marriage and family therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. He's an ordained minister and licensed professional counselor trained in EMDR for for trauma, restoration therapy for couples and families. He's a certified clinical trauma professional and is also certified a certified sex addiction therapist. Uh, he's married to his wife JC and they have they have two boys. Now Where's Rick that all all that's impressive. It's incredibly impressive. It's 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 impressive. And he's been but, doing it for years. But the most impressive thing about Clint. I know what this is. Uh, come on, come on, give it to me. It's his, it's you're driving you're driving it's, today, it's who man. His mother is. That's right. His That's mom right. is incredible, and he would tell you that. His mom, Julie. All right, how you doing, Clint? I'm doing good, man. Shout out to my mom, right? <laughs> Clint, you did, did I ever tell you that I've told you that your mom and my mom have the same birthday? Did you know that? Oh, really? Yeah, not the same That's year. I mom. Um, I'm a little older than you, Clint. Uh, but uh, but yes, it's the same birthday. So when you're you're saying happy birthday to your mom, I'm saying happy birthday to mine. 
So I'll I was be thinking about from now on, Rick. I uh, no, 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 no. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Well, Clint actually has, and one of the things I didn't say on there, he actually has his own. Um, well, what would you call it? Like a, it's a center. It's it's the Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness Center, and you have like four different locations and a, a uh, lot five, of different people yeah. on staff with you. Five. Look at you. All right. Yeah, five. we have Shreveport, um, two in Bossier, and then one in Ruston and one in Monroe. That's wonderful. And Clint goes around and he, um, I mean, of course he has this practice and he does counseling for a lot of people, but he's worked with several ministries like the hub in Shreveport where you helped with people who've been through trauma with sex trafficking and uh, human yep. trafficking and, and things. And, and they need a marriage and family counseling. And he speaks in churches a whole lot, by the way, this, by the, by the end of this, you're going to want Clint to come to your church and speak about these things. Cause he's a guy that's. Uh, really good at blessed with doing that and he has a minister's heart at the yep. same time which yep. is really good and he can kick your tail if he needs to yes man he, he can he is a jujitsu master he's right that's right man <laughs> he could, if you need somebody to handle your business good. he's the man right <laughs> he could well let's let's get into it um i mean we we as as student ministers for a long time um you know we've always dealt with with students that are going through different things and have had different issues and different problems and everything. And I, I know you deal a lot with families and everything, Clint, but what are the major things that you see like young people, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, children, students, mainly, you know, teenagers or, or college students, what are some of the main things out there that they're really dealing with right now? Like as far as in, you know, in the mental health um, yeah. arena, I mean, that's obviously what we're talking about today, but. I mean, if we're talking about symptomology, so I want to get into this a little bit. So one of the problems with our society is we focus a lot on symptoms and behaviors. So what I mean by that, any, you know, my favorite thing is, is integrating theology and psychology. So making, making what the science about psychology that we know and we, we trust and that research is, is good and helpful makes sense within the gospel and within biblical truths. And for me, if it doesn't make sense within biblical truths, it's usually bad research and bad psychology. Mm. And so um, with the, you know, I try to bind those two things together as a Christian. Um, now I use, you know, some secular modalities and works together with people who aren't Christian. And I see a lot of people who don't have the same beliefs as I do. And, you know, we just, we talk about their own spirituality or their own religion and, and try to get those things to uh, make sense. So I say that because um, within Christianity, I would say, we, we also focus a little too much in the church with teens on behavior. So we, we look a lot mm -hmm. at like, don't drink, don't cuss, don't, you know, date anybody who does, don't have sex, you know, um, don't look at pornography, but really it's a hard issue. It's, it's teaching kids the whys and teaching kids the, um, the reasons for their desires for those things. And so I, I just want to make that clear that when we talk about like, what are the things I'm seeing I want to talk about it two ways. One, the the symptoms that I'm seeing, but then I also want to get to what are the root causes of those symptoms. And so I see symptoms like anxiety, depression, self-harm, uh, porn addiction. Um, you know, those are kind of the, the main things that I see. Um, since 2010, there's been a 200% increase in self-harm in teenagers, wow. uh, girls, especially ages uh, 10 to 14. So we're seeing 200% more of them cut themselves, harm themselves, mutilate their body, um, you know, eat, eat less or eat more. Um, and then that's, that's typically in the females. 
And then in the in the men and the boys, we're seeing, you know, just rapid, rampant porn addiction and masturbation addiction and uh, addiction to gaming. Those are kind of the main things that I'm seeing within the, the, the teens and young adults. Right. Now, now, Clint, we've been hearing this whole emphasis on mental health in, in student ministry circles, uh, I guess, for probably the last year and a half. It's really automatic. It just automatically jumped to the front end of, of issues that student ministers are dealing with, and especially after the pandemic. Um, and I shared with you earlier, you know, in the, in the fall of 2020, Barnett releases this study claiming that mental health is the new domain of ministry to the next generation before the pandemic hit. Uh, Barna Research, as well as others, found that young people, namely the millennials and Gen Z, and we'll talk a lot about Gen Z today, uh, you know, they're more than likely than, than other generations that came before them. Uh, to, to even report battling with mental health issues. Uh, it's just been a, it's been a big emphasis. Uh, everything that I've been seeing, you know, youth ministry training and things like that, uh, recent data shows that the mental health uh, strain, uh, teens and young adults, you know, if they were under pre-pandemic, has only intensified uh, after the crisis. And... Um, and then you know Barna goes on. He does this large study, and they're always they're always quoting Barna. By the way, uh, it shows that half of the United States of eighteen to thirty five year olds, which would be forty nine percent, expressed anxiety over important decisions and were afraid to fail. And then over three in ten said they often felt sad or depressed, or, or lonely and isolated from others. This surprises me, because it, 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 you know this generation is entirely connected twenty four seven. You know, maybe not physically, but, you know, digitally, they're connected. Well, let's, yeah, let's circle back to that idea of connection uh, yeah. in a second. Okay, yeah, let, let's come back to that one because that's a big one. Um, and, we, you know, we had these isolated cases. When I first started out in student ministry, you know, you, you may have a girl or two that were dealing – maybe they were dealing with, with eating disorders or maybe they were dealing with cutting. And it, it wasn't – you never heard – kids dealing with anxiety you know when i was when i first started out you never had them dealing with um self-identity issues and things like that and so the real question i I say all this stuff because i just want to get down to this were we just ignoring an issue that was always there or is this something new and 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 how, how should church leaders respond to that yeah, those are great questions. Um, I mean, earlier Rick and I were talking about, and you know, we we had a mentality back in the the late eighties, early nineties. Hey, just rub some dirt on it, and move on. You know, it was we didn't really yeah. address those issues. Suck it up and deal with it. And yeah. you know, nowadays people are are labeled as snowflakes or or whatever else because they, you know, they don't know how they can't handle things like they used to. And and so were we just were we doing wrong back then, or that just it just gotten worse now, or I mean, um, why, why all of a sudden is this whole thing just being yeah. brought to light? Yeah. Yeah. There's like 13 questions in there. So I'm I, sorry. I, I just want, I wanted to give you a big old steak to chew on as you, as you no, respond. Yeah, so you just pick let your favorite yeah. in there and go with you it. You just go with it, man. Just go yeah, with let it. Let me conceptualize. Yeah. So uh, these are things I'm talking about all the time. So I love the, I love this conversation and um, just the opportunity to have it because very few people are. And I think very few people are having it from a perspective that's healthy. Um, So 
our culture has continued to uh, churn out more problems. So let's let's take food allergies, okay? So my kids have really bad food allergies. And one of the things that people would say to me is, where, you know, where are all these allergies coming from? You know, we were kids, nobody had an allergy. Now everybody's just making it up. Nobody's right, got a gluten right. allergy, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm one, well, I'm one a- of those guys. I mean, yeah, I just yeah, remember a- we would do games that involve peanut butter and stuff on a Wednesday night, yeah. you know, and we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's epigenetics. The word epigenetics is the study of how we pass down things through our genes, our RNA, our DNA, uh, what we would call that is generational sin scripturally, right? That the <laughs> sins of the father were passed on to right. the son, third and fourth generation. Well, that's real. So what our great grandparents experienced in their body and their heart and their mind and their soul, um, it changed their DNA. It changes their RNA and it, and they, we pass that down through our genetics to the next generation and, and how a baby comes out of their mother um, is a subset of all of those things. So if we look at the African-American community and, and slavery and, and uh, oppression and abuse, you know, we, we see those things in genetics get passed down and, and they're, they're not destined to have problems, but they're predisposed for those problems. Wow. Um, that, that generational trauma gets passed down. And so they start out not at the same level as someone who didn't have all those kind of traumas. Um, and so that's a resiliency issue and we can build resiliency or we can destroy resiliency. And so with food allergies, it's the same way. Um, you have, um, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, think about it like this 50 years ago. Um, where did you get your meat from? You got the, it from the butcher the butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Where did he get it from? The farm, I guess. Slaughterhouse probably. Slaughterhouse or right, by your house. Right. Yeah. 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 And so where did those, what kind of food did those cows eat? They ate local food. They ate local grain. They ate local trees. They ate local they ate the things that were in your environment. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, and they weren't injected with hormones to, to make them fatter and bigger and stronger and to feed more people. And they weren't put in uh, huge trucks and carried across the culture to where they, they have stress hormones dumping into their bodies and, and chemicals dumping into their bodies and their cortisol dumping into their bodies as they crap and pee and do everything else on top of each other as they get drugged six, 17 hours across the country. And then once they're once they were killed, they were killed by someone in that culture and they drove it down the street and they gave it to the butcher and you ate it. Well, 40, 50 years ago, that was how it was. Now, right, we and we get we get literal calves from you know Mexico or Guatemala that are put in huge containment camps that are pumped full of you know ingredients, then we send them over and McDonald's cooks them up for us for three dollars and gives us a cheeseburger. Well, we as parents and our parents have been eating that food for two generations. And so that ingesting those type of materials changes our DNA and our RNA. And then in our children in this new generation, they are coming out with uh, gene mutations. One of them is called MTHFR. There are a lot of other mutations that cause food allergies. And so I know this is a crazy conversation, but it's like, our Dude, sin. No, no. This is stinking awesome. I'm loving this. I'm like, <laughs> you're loving Please it. continue. Ba, 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 yes. ba. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, so because we want it our way right away, and because these corporations, in my opinion, are not making these corporations are not making food 
that is healthy and good for the masses or for local, they're making food so they can make money and it's about profit and it's about reducing costs and it's about reaching more people. We have ingested this for years and it's changed the way we produce things. It's changed the way that we've, um, we've had kids. We also have been to the doctor for 40 years. And if you get a cold, right? Like colds are going around like crazy right now and you have a virus what do you want? You want immediate, you want something to immediately fix it. And so when we were kids, when you go to the doctor, what do they give you? Aspirin, penicillin. Yep. Or an antibiotic, right? A yep. Z-pack. A Z-pack doesn't work on a viral infection. It works on a bacterial infection. So when you take a Z-pack or you take a, you t- ingest, you inject yourself with some type of medicine, it changes your chemical. It changes your RNA and your DNA. And if it doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do, then it changes it not for good, but for other consequences. But we as Americans want immediate fixes. You know, if we have a virus and we go to the doctor, if we just wait three or four more days, that virus is going to go away. But if we take the Z-Pack or get the progesterone shot, we're going to feel better for a couple of days, then it's going to go away. And we've done that for 40 years. And those antibiotics that we take that are unnecessary they change our DNA and our RNA. We're not supposed to be ingesting and taking all these chemicals and all of these things when they're not necessary. By all means, if you have a bacterial infection, take it. But our our Mm -hmm. system of care is you're a consumer, you want something, you're here because you have insurance. And so we're gonna give you what you're wanting and it it, quote unquote, isn't gonna hurt you. So we're gonna give you this because just in case it's a bacterial infection, then, you know, at least we'll have caught that. When in reality, sleeping, drinking water, taking some ibuprofen, you know, and riding it out for a couple of days probably would have solved the problem. And so we, I mean, I could go on and on with the list of things that we've done to ourselves for 40 years as, you know, what are, what are we, uh, Gen X and, and uh, what's the boomers? Yeah. And yeah. so those things, those yeah. things are creating in the, in the babies that we're having today, epigenetical changes and problems that are producing uh, kids with autism, Asperger's, food allergies, these second tier issues um, because of what we've done to our bodies for the last two generations. Wow. So, so we're getting, and, and then we're getting going the result into men- of what yeah, that is. Getting the result of that. Industry. So going yeah. into the mental health aspect of it, we've, we're, we're having chemically altered children now, basically. Yes. Like so we're having... So our stress hormones, like children that are born today, have higher levels of cortisol than any generation of kid ever before. And cortisol is the stress hormone that's produced to put us in fight or flight and and protect our body. So um, the stress that we've been under in the last decade or two, um, whether that's, you know, war or politics or whatever, is changing the way that, you know, babies are predisposed. So I, w- I would say it's they're not they're not predestined. They're predisposed. They have like a, babies have like a little dial right? They're not a blank slate. They don't come out with nothing. And then we shape everything. They come out with a, with an already, you know, uh, moving circuit board, so to speak. And the way we love them and nurture them and disciple them and keep them safe is going to spin that dial one way or the other. So that's right. the nature versus nurture conversation. And, and, and part of that, you know, I, you know, I think about my generation growing up. I mean, of course I remember the cold war, you know, yeah. I remember the threat of nuclear war, you know, and I think the thing that really blew my mind is there was a movie that came out called The Day After. Do you remember that movie? A little bit. 
Yeah, I remember it was Red what, Dawn more Red than anything. Red Dawn. Them, more than anything you know, else. That was, a, that was a generational thing where we, we thought, well, you know. This could happen. Yeah, this could happen. But it, was, it wasn't something that was in front of me 24-7. You know, I think the threat there with, with these kids, and, and there again, it puts them at a disadvantage with what he's talking about. You know, they're seeing this stuff every day, multiple times a day, looking at a screen, and they're being reminded of that. And so there's no yeah. wonder that they're stressed out the way they are, you know? Yeah. And we well, and they're also being raised by parents who are really stressed out and yelling about these things, you know, on, on Facebook and and all that stuff too. So I I'd imagine that has a we have a lot to do with it ourselves. Yeah. Like you said, the nature yeah, and the nurture. So- Absolutely. So I was, I was setting that up to go to the mental health side because I, you know, the, it's the same thing when you, when we research and we go, okay, well, let's look at these teenagers, you know, why are they the way they are? We have to look at what happened to them zero to 12. And I think that's one of the main problems we have in ministry and youth ministry is that we're getting to them way too late. Okay. That really middle school and elementary pastors need to be ready and prepared to talk about these things and equip them way before they're 15. Yeah, because by the time they get to youth ministry, the trauma and the exposure and the changes and the neurology and all the things are are locked. They can change, but they're locked in pretty hardcore. They already have belief systems that have been built and trauma responses that have been wired. That is going to take a lot more than one Wednesday night meeting a a week. Right. And there's no filter there. That's the thing. You know, I've I've shared Rick and I've talked about this before. When I was growing up, we had we had one TV in the house. And we as a family would sit down and we would process whatever it was that we saw on the three channels that we had. You know, there was that filter there and our parents were there to kind of help us navigate some of those things, you know. And and now you look at the way kids are today. What what was the statistic? They're in front of a screen nine to 11 hours a day. Some even more ridiculous. 16.2 hours a day. Some sort of screen and there's no parental guidance there. There's nobody, there's no filter to help them process some of this stuff. And so they're just, it's almost like they're, they're taking raw, raw stuff and they're, they're, they're having to process on their own if they process it at all. Yeah. I, I, I saw it and Clint, you could probably tell us more about this, but I saw a thing the other day. It was a, it was an article and it was based on, you know, studies and all this about the, the generation that's coming up now that are the like in elementary school and the just the, just the other, yeah, I think it's called Gen Alpha now or something. But yeah. yeah, but the just the sheer number of them that are being raised without fathers and the sheer number of them and, and the fact that they no longer look to their parents as the primary source of information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like uh, like you're not going to go to your dad and let him teach you how to crank the lawnmower. Right, you're going to YouTube. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it, yeah. So, okay, let me circle back. So the question, one of the questions you asked me is, you know, were we wrong when we just told people to suck it up? Absolutely. Because Jesus didn't tell people to suck it up. Um, did, did he um, tell them to go and send no more? Absolutely. But he did that usually at the end of a conversation, after a lot of conversation, connection, empathy, sympathy, and relational building. And then once he built that trust with them and he knew their story and he knew what they needed, then he told them to go and send them more. And, you know, that was kind of that's kind of the suck it up. And what we mean by suck it up is you can't let life and the struggles of life just knock you off your feet. However, uh, what if those things are extremely traumatic and violations, right, to your person? Yeah. 
And so I think that's what we have to take into consideration. Um, we did a bullying seminar this weekend and we had a hundred kids showed up. And what I did, what I did was basically just say, okay, let's talk about what bullying is and what it isn't right. A kid having a bad day and bumping into you in class is not bullying. A kid calling you a name is not bullying. A kid, uh, you know, tweeting about you is not bullying. Is it mean and rude? Absolutely. Bullying is when they're doing it, they're targeting you specifically and they're doing it every day, multiple times a day, and they're using power and, and force to, to get it across. That's bullying. And so when you hear people call somebody a snowflake, it's like, yeah, if, if every kid who has a problem or disagreement or, uh, you know, a scuffle gets suspended and, and labeled as a bully, then that's a huge error on the school's part. Yeah. While at the same time for, for 10 years, 20 years, we have ignored bullying. We have ignored kids harassing kids and, and kids are taking their life. And so now we swing way over here and call everything bullying. And so I think that's the problem we have in our society is we have neglected a lot of things for a really long time. And now we've been, have been made a little bit more aware of them. And instead of having a moderate view, we're swinging way over to the extremes and just we're having, we're reacting, right? We're having react, we have reactive theology. Sometimes we have, you know, these things that we react to and have such a strong stance. You know, you might hear somebody say, oh, I prayed in the spirit or I laid hands on someone. And if you're sometimes from some denomination, you've seen other denominations use that abusively. And so you swing way over here and go, that's, that's not a thing, you know, that's, that's abusive or whatever. And we just play this kind of back and forth game instead of finding like what's the middle ground. Does that make do you, sense? Do you think that's some type of defense mechanism? You Absolutely. Know, when you don't understand, 100%. when you don't understand something fully, you're just going to automatically just go to that. You know? Yeah. Which is why I'm trying to talk about kind of the 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 foundation of this conversation we're having because I could get into the like the symptoms. But if people listening to this, if pastors listening to this don't have a real good framework for like how to view these whole, all these issues, then what we're doing is we're just treating, we're just behavior modifying all over again. Mm. We're just, we're going to go to kids and tell them, you know, you shouldn't watch porn and porn's bad and the phone's bad, but they're not going to understand why, you know, if, so the same thing with resiliency, we're this conversation of like, are kids more resilient? Well, yeah, I think, I think people were more resilient back 40 years ago. They could take a little bit more damage there. They were a little more hardwired to to deal with stressors because the generations before them weren't so bombarded and beat up. Mm. So our, mm. our kids are, are, are recipients of our 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 just completely beat up and attacked emotionally, physically, spiritually selves and we're not treating that root cause. We're not looking at it and realizing like almost every 16 year old that you're going to see at church has trauma, has unresolved like abuse issues, has attachment issues, has, you know, addiction in their, in their life and has never been discipled. Right. They, they, they haven't been properly trained and equipped as children to understand the world and understand spiritual attacks and understand biblical truth. And, then they're walking into youth group and you're trying to catch it up. So that, that brings me to this thing, Clint, like, cause we, we asked the question, I think, and uh, we asked so many, uh, but the all at once at the beginning, but, but like, here we are and we're like, I do college ministry now and Lee is, and Lee does uh, youth ministry and, um, and we work together through this and I'm, I'm having these, like the, the kids that I have in college ministry are, uh, the ones that graduated during COVID, 
you know, those are the ones that are like in college right now. And, and then you have, uh, these, these other students that are, that are, you know, in Lee's youth group that have grown up the just like, just how you said, and we've grown up the, like beaten, bombarded and like all this, my son is 16 years old. He's in, he's in Lee's youth group, you know, and this, this, that hurts me to hear what you just said, you know, and I'm, I'm and so we have parents coming to us and they're saying, okay, help me. Right. How do I deal with this? Not just how do I deal with this, but like what's appropriate for my, should my kid be on this app? Should my kid be doing this? Should my kid be doing, and they're coming to us. Should they be on this medicine? Because yeah. we're, because yeah, again, because like you're saying, you want to mix the, the, the medicine and the mental health and, and the, what we know uh, in our world, you know, and, and through science with the theology uh, and, and, and knowing that these kids need to be discipled and, and done through this. So, I mean, I don't even know where the tools are for a lot of these questions to even okay, go so to, me, to find out. Like yeah. I need you in my church, Clint, to just come and answer all these questions. <laughs> yeah, so hey, what do I up. do me, as no, the minister? I hear you. Um, let's understand it this way. There are, in my opinion, to so many of the mental health problems, there are, like I said, there are a lot of symptoms and there are a lot of problems, but there are a few root causes. Hmm. Okay. So one of the things that causes um, the most traumatic symptoms and trauma responses is, is what I would call like violations of love and trust. So if a child is supposed to be God, God wired us to, to leave our father and mother, right. And to stand on our own and to know that we're loved that we're valued, that we're worthy, that we're known, that we're unique, that we're special. Christianity teaches us that, that, that God sees us that way. And there's thousands of scriptures we could quote, and we do quote to our youth to tell them who God says they are. And there are just as many scriptures that say, you're also safe in his care. He is also for you. He, he has plans for you to prosper you, right? He, we, we say all these same things. The question is, have these children ever really experienced that in relationship? Mm. Have they mm. seen marriages that actually stand on that? Right. Have they been parented in a way that their parents actually treat them as if that's true? Or has most of the parenting been behavior modification or worse? Has most parenting been um, you are a projection or a reflection of me? So if you make bad grades or you talk back in target or you do what you're not supposed to do, I feel bad about me, and so I'm going to punish you so that you change your behavior and don't make me look bad. Right. Or on the flip side, can you go play basketball or do sports or make good grades? Because if you're not, then that's a reflection of me, and that, that means that um, I'm not doing a good job. Or if you do win and do everything great and you're a great kid, man, look at how good I am of a, of a parent. Didn't I do a good job? I'm so proud of myself because I, I did better than my parents, X, Y, Z. All of that is still a works-based model that is not Christianity. Christianity is I can do nothing on my own apart from the Holy Spirit living in me. And anything that I do is a gift from him. And my children are not reflections of me. They're their own people. Right. They're their own image of God that I'm to walk beside, curate, disciple, model for, and find out who are you? 
Who has God made you to be? How can I shape that? Because I have a limited time with you. It's an awkward, painful, uncomfortable, limited time, but I'm here for you. And I'm going to model trust for you and safety for you so that we can move through this crazy, broken life together. And I think the teenagers that we have growing up are being taught by not only our, not only the world, but the church that their worth and value is based on external things, not an internal source. Wow. Hmm. I remember when I left to go to college, I remember my, my grandmother telling me that, and there again, we weren't, we weren't a wealthy family by any means, you know, um, I just remember before we left that one of the things that she told me was, um, you have a good last name. Don't mess it up. <laughs> and that was, that, was the, that was the advice she gave me as I was pulling out of the driveway headed to college, you know, uh, and that's just kind of always stuck with me. And, and you know, I, I guess I've, I've, I've passed that, tried to pass that on to my own kids. Um, am I doing them a disservice by that? I mean, well, I think it, it depends on what they're what they're learning from that. Yeah, right. I think again, the key is what is the what are you trying to communicate, and then what are they hearing? Yeah. And I think as parents, we have to be very precise in why we're teaching certain things. So I'm not saying modifying behavior is wrong, right? right? Like my kids get in trouble, they get time they get time ins, they get you know. I mean, my oldest sometimes has to run in the backyard or do squats depending on the circumstances. <laughs> You know, like yeah. it just depends on the case, but I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very clear that their behavior isn't a reflection of my love for them. And it's not going to determine how I treat them. And I also say to my oldest, like, Hey man, you're very disobedient. This was, you know, this was disobedient. And then I say, but dad was probably disobedient five to 10 times a day too. And so I have to go to God and I have to repent and I have to, uh, find connection with him because I don't, you know, God's view of me doesn't change, but it definitely separates me from him when I'm being disobedient. And so my view of you doesn't change. I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not surprised by your sin. But when you're disobedient, then there's we got to rebuild trust together. We got to reconnect like we got to work on being intimate together in this relationship. Um, God doesn't punish us. That's that's theologically incorrect. We are disciplined by God which means to teach, right? The root word is disciple, which means to teach. So when we discipline our children, when we give them something that's a consequence, we need to be very clear in what we want them to learn. And so a lot of times when we just punish, they learn a different lesson than what we're trying to teach. Right. And we never re we re never talk about that. We never go back and follow up and say, what'd you learn out of that? What'd that make you feel? What was going on for you? We just assume that you know, your grandmother probably meant well, right? With, you know, don't do anything stupid. Don't turn, yeah. turn you know, turn her name up. Don't like, be, be respectful. <laughs> yeah. But that also puts a, puts a thing on like, now you're responsible for that name. And if you're not perfect or don't live up to it, your worth and value is. Well, um, it just, and what it did, it, it helped me to just kind of focus on who I was as a person. But, but there again, you know, I can't expect my kids to do, handle situations the way I did. Oh no. And yeah. it's it's almost like it's it's the the whole little league, you know, baseball dad syndrome, you know, I'm living vicariously through my kids except it's not sports, it's behavior. Yep. You know, and so I wow. 
I, look, I, I'm listening to all this, and I'm just thinking oh, about all the. You my know, mind is blown right now. Clint. I, it is. I, I'm Clint, where are you at? Twenty five years ago, twenty four <laughs> no, no. years ago, we started having kids. I'm just. I'm listening man. to all this, going, man. I'm thinking of all the different ways I have failed as a parent, and I have, <laughs> no. But I, and here's the thing, though. I, but but one thing that encourages me from all of it. I'm like, come on, Clint. Where, like, where, where were you? <laughs> we, we, we honestly, because I, I feel like really, like our whole staff needs to be sitting at this table listening to this, oh, you know, and and uh, especially we should have included our, our children's minister in there. Our spouses, we our spou- <laughs> But but listen, Clint. One of the things that you really, because oh. I I have you know a lot of stuff now. I, I don't try to live because we've done student ministry for so long, and when you do that for a long time, and you're thinking, okay, when I have teenagers. Right. You know, I, I know I knew better than to say they'll never do this or yeah. do that. I mean, yeah. that's no. I mean, that's that's you want to make a parent laugh, just say my kid would never. And yeah. then you you know, right? So I, I knew that, and I just I just prayed really hard that it would be easier than than harder. You know that 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 my kids would come and I tried to be a good parent to them. But but the thing about what you said about them being a reflection of me and not parenting in that way, like I don't. I don't do that because, hey, you're embarrassing me or anything. I don't think I've ever done that. But at the same time, I can't think that like their failures are my failures. You know, that that if they do good, it's because I did something right. And if they do wrong, it's because I did something wrong. And 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 kind of going that way instead of just kind of and I've been very honest with them about, um, you know, look, I you're already better than I was. You know, you just, you know, I, I failed all over. I still do. I apologize to my kids when That's I, good. when I respond to them in anger and you know, when I've done that and I, and I have to go back and apologize to them and say, I was wrong and I shouldn't have said that. You know, I, I make it a point to do all those things and I've made it a point since the very beginning. I mean, we, my wife and I had an agreement. Our kids are going to know that, that mommy and daddy love Jesus. Right. Mommy and daddy love each other. Yep. And mommy and daddy love you. And so yep. they won't ever have the excuse. I never felt valued or loved or or anything, Absolutely. and I wanted them to see that in the way we live. And I know a lot of kids don't get that, and so that's where we step in and try to, like you said, by the time they get to us, though, it's. I mean, we're it's behind. almost we're, too late. We're, we're behind. behind. Yeah, yeah. Can I? I'm going to say something as you both responded, like most parents and like I do, which is a, with a little bit of shame. Uh, with a little bit of, you know, and that's, I don't My want toes are hurting Clint. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want parents to feel that way because I screw up too. Like I ha- I've walked in the bedroom knowing all of this, picked my four year old up off the, off the bed, screaming and crying, wanting to console him, threw him back down on the bed and was like, fine, you know, cried out, whatever, you know, walked out because I felt like he didn't love me and like he was rejecting me and I felt helpless. Right. And then yeah. I walk in the hallway and stand there and go, Lord, what a lesson on how you could feel about me, but don't. Right. Mm. You don't you don't get annoyed with me and tired of me and frustrated to me. You don't let you don't question your own motives and your own self and your own ability. When I fail you, you go, come here, son. All I want to do is be with you. All I want to do is hold you. All I want to do is connect with you. And the rest is going to work itself out. And so then I turn around and I, walk, I take some deep breaths. And I walk back in there and I apologize and I say, you know, no matter how bad you're being or mad you're being, no matter how uh, much you're kicking and throwing a fit, daddy needs to have a correct attitude. Daddy needs to go to the Holy Spirit and ask him for strength. And I need to be here for you. I don't need to let you stir me up. 
And I've had to do that multiple times on multiple occasions. And I want to say this too. I, uh, this was just a kind of a big reveal the other day, but you know, my oldest is eight and a half and he has night terrors and he's a, he's a firecracker. So he's like real, you know, real aggressive sometimes and real, he'll, he'll, he'll punch me or punch his mom or get really mad. And especially if he's tired, ha- angry, you know, exhausted into the night, it's usually that six to seven thirty that parenting bewitching hour that we all know with little kids. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't do anything real well in my life, but I feel like I've been a good dad. I've never shamed him. I've never said uh, certain things to him that were told to me and that, that I've heard just because I do this every day. So that's the one good thing. And he's standing in my backyard and he's saying, I hate myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm Mm. the worst kid. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, where would you even know how to say that? Yeah. Like, where would you even know to think that? And God said, not audibly, but a couple hours later when I was praying, he was like, even if you're a perfect parent, your kids got to deal with their own sin and their own spiritual attacks and their own brokenness. Like, so it's, it's not to say, let's go back to the past and just not care and and wing it and do what we've been doing. But it's also to say, like, even if you do all the same things, right, even if you never do anything traumatic, even if you never lose your temper, your kid has their own narrative and their own battle with Satan and their own spiritual warfare going on. And it's not a reflection of you either way. Can it be a reflection of you? Absolutely. And we need to work really hard to, to, to be as healthy as we can as parents, but it's not always. And so we, there's no room for condemnation under Christ Jesus because our kids are in the world. They're in the same fallible, broken world that we are. There's epigenetics, there's biology, there's culture, there's, all these things that are shaping the way they think about themselves. And so take the pressure off because the pressure and the shame is what's making us react in such a poor way. Right. Hmm. And so, you know, it, it, Satan wants you to go, yeah, you're a bad dad. You missed all these things. You should have been better. You know, that's just not true. I mean, we got to go back to our own faith and go, these are God's kids. Yeah. Right. He cares about them way more than we do. And you, you think we're, he's going to let us just screw it up. You think he's surprised by our inadequacies and our failures and our, you know, he's not like, oh, man, cell phones missed that one. Like, I didn't think about that. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, he's he's well aware. So, Clint, having said all this, too, and given his final, can, can we turn for a minute and just get a few little just practical things from you? Because this, this is a question I've been waiting to ask you because I know you get asked all the time and i know what you've said as an answer before your, your response and, to this question is quite legendary and it's I, yes i've i've heard it said before but like at what age should a kid have a cell phone when are they ready for a cell phone okay we're let's jump to that one you can uh you can <laughs> cut this one um i would say that a kid well okay so if your kid and this this conversation continues like god keeps giving me more stuff because i keep talking to more people Let's be clear. If your kid has an iPad, they have a cell phone. Right. Right. So if your kid is six and he has a iPad or a tablet um, and it's open to the internet and it has apps, he has a cell phone. So the idea that like the problem is high schoolers with like a cell phone, that's not the problem. The problem is, does your kid have access to the internet and apps unsupervised? Right. Mm -hmm. That's the major problem. The problem the kids are having isn't they're getting into phone calls 
or, or I mean, text messages, yes, can be a problem, but especially phone calls, right? Um, so I just want to be clear when I'm talking about phones, I'm talking about devices in general. Mm-hmm. I would say that your child, um, my analogy that I use that I think you like is the the driver's license thing. So I, I think it depends on uh, the, the maturity level of your child and how well you know them and how well you've discipled them. So when I think about a cell phone, I think about driving a car and I think about how dangerous it would be to give a 16 year old the keys of the car when you haven't ever taught them how to drive it. And so recently what I've been doing this last year is when I'm talking to teens, I'll, I'll ask them, I'll say, raise your hand. If you have a phone, they all put their hand up. I say, keep your hand up. If you have TikTok or Snapchat, they'll keep their hand up. I'll say, okay, now keep your hand up. If your parent taught you how to use your phone or social media, every one of them put their hand down. I mean, it'll be a hundred kids. Maybe one kid keeps his hand up and I'll say, what would happen if I didn't teach you to drive your car? And they're all like, oh, we crash. And I'm like, right. So you have a phone that no one taught you how to use and you're all crashing. And so if you're going to give your kid a device of any sort, I think that you should do it like you do a driver's license. You should let your kids sit in your lap down the driveway when they're 10 or 12 and monitor everything they do with your hands on the wheel and your feet on the gas pedal and the brake. So if you have an iPad and you're an eight-year-old, you need to have as much lockdown on that as possible with no access to anything without your parent having to come and manually override it. As they get older and they're 10 and 11 and 12, you maybe you give them a Gab wireless phone where they can text and they can call people and you start to teach them etiquette and you tar- start to teach them how to have conversations and how to call the doctor's office or call and order pizza or call and order, you know, food for the night, whatever it is. So that they start to, to build in them an idea that this is comfortable and this is okay. Just like you would do when you're, you're 12 or 13, you get to drive around a back road or in a parking lot with your parent, right? You get the idea and the concept, but you know, you're not in charge and you certainly don't know what you're doing. Then when your kid's like 15, 14 or 15, you go, okay, um, I'm going to let you have a learner's permit, right? But I'm going to be everywhere you are. So I'm going to read your text messages. I'm going to look at your Instagram followers. If I let you have social media, we're not even browser there yet. History. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your browser <laughs> history. Like I'm going to be looking at everything every day. And then when you're 16 or 17 and you spent the last four or five years showing me and I show you that we have a relationship of trust then I give you more access to, to your driver's license and you can drive without me. Right. But what we're doing as a society is we're giving, we're giving our kids a phone with full access to the, to the internet and full access to social media with no restrictions and no accountability. And it's causing all of the things we're seeing in society, you know, the, the depression, the anxiety, the addiction, um, and it's heartbreaking to me because it's so preventable. Right. But a parent will say to me, wow, Clint, I mean, I've heard them. Like they raise their hand. They're like, that sounds like a lot of work. And I just laugh and say, yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't give your kid a phone. <laughs> like if, if it's if it's a lot of work and it's difficult, then maybe your kid's not ready for a device to be, you know, unfettered access to, to all things. Right. So that's kind of my analogy around a phone. I think – the phone isn't the problem. It's it's the access to the internet and social media. So on that, same thing with social media. Like, I don't think a I don't think a kid who can't drive should probably be on social media. I don't think they're I don't think they're mature enough to handle it in general. But I don't I don't think that battle's ever going to be won. But um, so 
So uh, elaborate a little bit. What are, what are some of the mental health things that we're seeing coming out of these kids having this this unfettered access to the internet? Okay, you know, well, let's, let's, if you're an, yeah, let's be specific, man. If if you're an adult and you have a phone, then you know what's on there, right? Yep. If you have social media or Instagram, you know the ads you get sent. You know the products you get texted. You know the bots that send you private messages and try to add you as a friend. Most of those are in the pornography you know, realm, right? All of those things that come to you come to your kid. The other problem is that you have uh, 65% of teenagers have been sent a private solicited message from an adult. 55% of them have answered the message and only 20% of them have told their parent. Hmm. For the first time in human history, another adult can talk to your child, your 12 year old alone without any supervision. Mm. And you'll never know it to my stomach. Yeah. Right. And what, what happens is, is that uh, this just happened uh, at a church here in town. It happens all the time, but we don't know about all of them, but you know, a 12 year old or 13 year old will, will get messaged by a cute boy on Instagram, Snapchat. They'll talk for a couple of weeks I go to this school, I know so-and-so, and they'll say, I'm friends with so-and-so, great. And they'll get them to send them a picture. They'll send them something provocative, and then they'll say, send me another picture. And they won't, and they'll say, well, I'm not really so-and-so, and if you don't send me a picture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this to your parents. Mm-hmm. So they send them another picture, and then they send them videos, and then before you know it, right, it's it's some some guy in Bangladesh messaging your daughter, getting her to send nude pictures and videos, He's never really going to do anything about it, but she doesn't know that. And she's definitely not going to come talk to you. Right. Those things are happening all the time. And so when those things happen, um, those kids kill themselves because they can't handle the pressure of the shame that they feel and the exposure that they have. We just at the bullying seminar, a 16 year old girl came or mom's mom, a girl, her mom came up to me and said, my, my daughter just took her life because she this this literal exact scenario just happened here in Treeport. Mm. So it happens all the time. Um, not only that, but think about it. I mean, these are just things that are so common, but are, we just don't think about. Like if your son wanted to learn about sexuality just 15 years ago, he would have had to walk up to a group of men and say, hey, guys, tell me about sex. But today he can just Google it and YouTube it and learn 15 different adult males perspectives on what they think healthy sex and sexuality is. And that's not even if he goes and looks for porn. If we looked at pornography 15 years ago, it would have been pretty mild nudity in a magazine or on a VHS tape. If a, if a child right now goes and looks at pornography, they, they can't find just softcore nudity. And that's what I want, especially parents to understand, maybe moms if they're listening. You know, porn is not just two people having sex. That's not the problem. 90% of porn is graphic violence towards men and women. So we, in church, we have this weird relationship with sex as if sex is gross and bad whenever it's this amazing thing God gave us. Mm-hmm. But pornography is not sex. That's not the problem with it. The problem isn't that your child sees nudity. The tr- problem is, is that your child sees a grotesque, abusive, satanic version of that thing that God gave us. Right. And then, unfortunately, and this is graphic, and then if they're a teenager, they masturbate to it. So now they're they're masturbating to graphic violence. 
And that, that becomes their arousal template, the way that they view the world, they view women, they view girls. And that also becomes their sex education. Well, and that's and the so standard they're, they're going to hold any future mate to as well. Exactly. And that, and that was one of the things that I've told guys before when we were talk we talked about this t- kind of stuff. You know, when they come when when they do come to you with questions, you know, um, you know, you you're viewing people that are entertainers who are are paid to try to get you mm-hmm. to feel a certain way because that's their job. And then when you bring that baggage into a relationship with a with a, a you know a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and you get into that situation where, you know, even in marriage, you start unrealistically replaying those things that you've seen that is your idea of what it's supposed to be, and it's not. And yeah, that's scary and you have a level of... Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say, and you have a level of addiction because of the, the level of dopamine that pornography and social media give you. So both of those things, pornography and like likes and hearts and follows and affirmations, they they give you a level of dopamine at the same level of cocaine. So so you're never going to meet a, a spouse or a friend is never going to meet that level of high as the drug that you've been using when you've been using it in a selfish way. So not only is it just immoral, unhealthy and in a uh, in, in unrealistic situation that nobody can meet, but then a normal sexual experience or a normal friend or a normal dinner it can't reach the level of high that you've been living off of for five or 10, you know, five or six years from a literal scientific, like, like you're doing a drug standpoint. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's also very self-centered too. Like it's a, it's, yeah, it's like it's self. I mean, I, I read an article, I mean, this is 15 years ago. I read an article that we, I think the title was, we are raising a generation of deluded narcissists because they play video yeah. games and they can win the championship every time, you know, and like pornography, even like we got virtual reality stuff that you can now, the, the AI yeah. stuff that they do. And I saw the one about the the girl that's the, she's like, she's a TikToker or something. And somebody did an AI version of her doing pornography and it just destroyed. Yeah. I mean, she was destroyed by this and you can make people do whatever you want to do in these things. And then when you get in reality, it's not like that because it's everything else is very self gratification i mean I, I have social media to get likes and follows and and all these things and i need i have to be liked to have to be this and then everything i can control and then and it's about control and it's about like you said the power and the violence and that's the gratification stuff and it's not just guys anymore that was the thing is like i remember 10 years ago the first time a uh, uh, it's like has to be at least 10 years ago that a woman came up to me and told me that her 12 year old daughter was hooked on porn what yeah. do i do you know that and that's the first time i'd ever heard that and now it's just like a it's become such this big norm and it's well the i think it, it's always kind of been there but i think the, what was the what were the novels that came out that were that just kind of made it mainstream where, where women oh, were 50 uh, shades of gray the 50 shades of yeah. gray thing it, it just all of a sudden it was just an accepted part of society that that girls were dealing with that as well you know and just as oh. into it Yep. So I want to make clear that that those things, especially for your kids that are listening and parents, um, many of us listening to this have struggled with pornography. Many of us listening to this struggle with with anger towards our kids. Many of us struggle with all these things. And those are symptoms of a problem. So we have to ask ourselves, why are so many children 
going at so such an alarming rate towards these things? Well, I think it's two reasons. One is what we talked about earlier, which is that there is a there is a history of a lack of connection and attachment and attunement in our homes, a lack of discipleship in our homes because we didn't know how to do it because our parents didn't do it. And so we have to recover or we have to prevent. We have two options. We as adults have to stop and we have to say, I need to do some self-work and get into therapy or get into my pastoral counselor's office. And I need to do some work around these issues that I've not done any work around. I need to recover because my kids life is at stake, if not. And I am still a minister of the gospel. I am still a minister of reconciliation. And I have a life ahead of me that I can bring hope and love and grace and joy into the future, whether I'm 45 or 55 or 75. The second part is the prevention, is that if you have little kids, you know, we have to prevent these things from happening. We have to do good discipleship. We have to have hard conversations. We have to teach them about their bodies and about body safety and about, uh, you know, the proper terms for private parts. We have to read good books with them, like Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, or God Made All of Me. You know, our, our parents didn't have books when they were growing up, but we do. We have resources available that can walk us through these really awkward, uncomfortable situations. And all of that is prevention before our kid hits puberty so that they have a bridge built between us and them that can hold heavy things. So when they're 14 and 15, they can come to us with those conversations. But the problem for youth ministry is that no one's had difficult conversations with these kids. And now you're trying to build a bridge between them so we can hold all the hard things they're dealing with. And so we've got to do both of those things. We've got to prevent, we've got to recover. And we've got to see this as our mission field is that these kids are, they're, they're, they need it so badly. And, and they're, they're literally dying in droves. And my fear is that this is such a, <clears throat> this is such a new issue. We've only been in this issue for like 10 years. Like you said, like, where were the, where was this 10 or 12 years ago? It didn't exist. And I don't, I'm not so sure. Study, I'm not so sure they're, they're adequately teaching this in seminary. You know, and and in the Bible colleges, ministers are going to prepare for this kind of stuff. I mean, Rick and I both were talking earlier. We both took a counseling class. You know, when we were in seminary, but one 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 counseling class. You know, none of yeah, it's it's. I guarantee you, probably the whole world. Eighty percent of what we're talking about wasn't discussed in that class. No, no, I mean the class is basically here's how you talk to people that are hurting. Yeah, I mean it was. Yeah, it wasn't any of this you know which there there needs to be some uh, a reform as far as is what we are, are teaching guys and gals coming out of seminary um on how to handle some well of we stuff. have to have a yeah we have to uh i mean i haven't said this but we're currently writing a book on some of this stuff uh and it's a 10 principle discipleship model uh biblical and trauma-informed mix and so one of the first principles is called setting expectations. And so what we talk about with your kids, when we talk about a, a Bible study, when we talk about youth group, when we talk about church, one of the major problems that we have as a as a, a ministry organization is we don't set expectations. We don't upfront in our relationships say, here's what I expect, and here's what's going to happen if these things don't happen. Right? Here, here, here are the here are kind of like if you come to youth group and you tell me you're struggling with pornography, here's how I'm going to handle it. Right. And we don't have a method to dealing with it. What we do is, is we just, 
let people talk to us. And then we're like, well, I guess I tell your mom or dad, or I guess I do this thing. And then we damage relationships and the people leave and they never come back or, or, you know, whatever scenario it is, because we're not equipped to handle the trauma that is involved in this stuff, because the world is not the same. People are not the same. And that's what we have to wake up to is that if you did a, if you did a Bible study 15 years ago with women and you had 15 women in the group, how many of them would have been struggling with clinical anxiety? Three. Today, 13 of the 15 women would be struggling with clinical anxiety and need medication, possibly. If you did a Bible study with men 15 years ago, there's 15 guys in the group. How many of them would have a clinical addiction to pornography? Three, maybe four. Today, 14 of the 15 have looked at porn in the last week. 52% of pa pastors have looked at porn in the last week. 76% of Protestant males have looked at porn multiple times in the last week. We are not dealing with root issues. We're dealing with symptoms. And we've been doing that for years and years and years. And I think it is a theological and a psychological issue. And I think that the conversation has to be both. Right. And, and we, we threw the baby out with the bathwater 50 years ago. And we never took on a ethos around psychology and the mind and the body. And we never said, okay, how do we, how do we, where the rubber meets the road here in our families and our parenting and our sex lives and our, and the things that we're all dealing with, how do we make this theology make sense in light of the, the good parts of science? We just kind of threw it all out. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. And I think it's, takes conversations like these guys to just peel back the onion. I hate onions. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, I'm telling you, man, I, I mean, I already, we told you at the beginning, I would really appreciate you coming here and doing this. And mm -hmm. I, I, I knew, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I kind of joked about the fact that it's the most credentialed we've person we've had on here and everything, but this is probably one of the most outright informative, uh, podcasts yeah. or sessions that we've done that I really like we want people to listen we we've done do these podcasts because we're like you know we just want to help and we just we've we we're both so old we've been doing this a long time and we just want to share so we we get people on that know more about stuff than we do or are better at it than we do to talk about these things but I mean this is the one that I'm going to be telling people you need to sit down and listen to this yeah I mean you just you really do and and I hope people, uh, Clint, take you up on the. I know, like on your website, if you guys, if you just like Google, sometimes can be your friend. And if you just Google Clint Davis and counseling, it it pops up first. I mean, it's yeah, it's right there. But his as report, there's booking information. Clint comes and he speaks in places. He's passionate about these things. And so, is there is there an email they can use or or a what's place? the best way? What's to, the best way if somebody wants to contact uh, you, they can they, can, the, they can email me at clintdaviscounseling at gmail .com. Uh, so just Clint Davis counseling at Gmail, or they can go to the book a speaker page and, and it has where they can book me and tell me how many, tell me when, where, how much, all that kind of stuff. Um, they, you can also listen to our podcast. It's called asking why with Clint Davis. And we cover, you know, a lot of these topics. Um, we're about 80 episodes in and I have professionals from all over walks of life come in and we, we talk about theology and psychology and, and try to be real practical and how to do this. Um, I'll say, I think it's episode 27 and 28. And then there's another one called Digital Natives on our podcast, and I talk about a lot of this stuff in detail, and I and I uh, I give slides and apps and and all those kind of things. Um, I do want to say, like, I know that this kind of stuff can be very overwhelming, and we're talking in in you know a lot of theoretical 
uh, you know, ideas. But I think that's, we have to have those conversations in community, in discipleship. If not, we're just going to go back to what we've been doing, which is just putting band-aids on bullet holes. Right. You know, right. We're just, we're just like, Oh, well, this is hard. So let's do that. So um, the only, the other thing is that I, I want people to understand why I don't, I, I want to dig into this hard, this hard talk and understand why, because as parents, when we get in a situation with a kid, whether a toddler trying to sleep train or a 15 year old trying to drive, and we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, we lose our minds, right? It's like, you're so exhausted, you're overwhelmed. We know, we know we're supposed to do something, but we have no, re- we don't know why. And so we have the rules, but then in the moment we forget the rules and do whatever feels right in the moment mm. because we don't know like even the foundation of what we're doing. And so part of what I do in the talks is I come in and I, I try to give a good foundation. And then I try to give, I'm very big about giving very practical point by point tips on the phone, on talking to your kids about sex, on, on parenting, on whatever it is, on marriage. Um, and then I always do a Q and a. So at the end of all my talks, I love to like just talk for 30 or 45 minutes with the group and answer live real, real questions and, and get down to the, like the nitty gritty, you know? And right. a lot of times I wish that was Sunday mornings. I wish we still had this community where the the pastor or the teacher led. And then we had a dialogue back and forth about what do you mean by this? And what do you mean by this? And did you mean this when you said this? And, and there was clarity made. Um, so I try to bring that at all of my talks that I do, whether it's a marriage retreat or parenting or whatever, because I want people to leave very equipped and informed and feeling very empowered to go, man, we got this because the truth is, is the the answers to these problems are very simple. They're not complex. It's just that we've spent a decade now muddying the waters with politics and and fringe conversations, and we don't understand the science and the and the trauma, and then we're not we're not making that fit into the truth that is the gospel in and of itself. Yeah. Yep. Well, man, Clint, uh, we're we're gonna have to have you back, man. I mean, we yeah. we just kind of touched a little bit on everything, but uh, I don't even feel like we scratched the surface. I don't either. You know? and, and we're we're very close to the to the hard cutoff for you. We know you got to go. We appreciate yeah. your time. Yeah, man. So we, uh, I can uh, we can do this again next week if you want to do a part two. I'm down for whatever. <laughs> you That's awesome, dude. We we will. We'll be we'll we'll be in touch because we definitely want you yeah. back. We still have, yeah. we still have some questions. And now we have even more questions. Yeah, we do. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Instagram at all the t-shirts podcast. You can certainly email us at all the t-shirts podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at all the all the t-shirts rl on Twitter. Clint, it has been amazing having you with us, brother. Yeah. Uh, and we definitely are going to have to have you back. Mm-hmm. It's going to yeah, be awesome. I'll say that I, I'm not anti-social media or anti-technology. So I know. Uh, I'm just anti-using them in the wrong way. Um, so people can find us on at Clint Davis Counseling on Facebook or Instagram. We post all this kind of stuff, and um, you know, we people love our posts and our information, and I'll sh- I share you know practical things. So awesome! Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate oh, y'all's time. Pleasure is ours, man. Look, at, mm-hmm. look forward to more conversations. Rick, you going to take us out with a quote? Yeah, Clint, I usually close these with a really stupid quote that has nothing to do with anything we talked the about. The people in Fort Worth demand this. Yeah, they demand this. Yeah, we have a big following in Fort we're, Worth. We're a big deal in Fort we Worth. We have tens of listeners. All right. So uh, 
I, I do have a quote, but it's not. I, I, I went ahead and did one that wasn't as stupid and corny. It's not. In fact, it's not at all. And uh, I was going to go with one, but now this other one seems more appropriate in light of what we're talking about. And this, and it's this: the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. Dietrich mm. Bonhoeffer. Really, old Dietrich, man. Good. He was a great old one. DB. He was. All right. He was the man. Well, y'all have a good one. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.